Greetings, everyone. It has been a tough year, but our Savior was born on that Christmas day. And so as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, there's still reason for us to say Merry Christmas and still find joy, even in the midst of all the difficulties that we've gone through. For today's sermon, uh, we will be looking at all three passages in, um, in overview, and you can refer to your service order for the passages, and there's also an outline if you'd like to uh, follow along or take notes. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks that we can celebrate Christmas, that you are the God who keeps your word, and so we put our trust in you, even as we wish each other Merry Christmas and remind each other that Christ has come. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. There was once an extremely rich man. One day, while hanging out with his three other rich friends, he said, One day I will die, but I don't want to die like any other man. I want to die like the ancient Egyptian kings, the pharaohs. I want to be buried with all my treasures and nice things. Then one of his friends said, But if you do that, then won't it be such a shame since you have so much that will not be enjoyed by the living? He considered it and said, It is true. It would be terribly selfish of me to do that. In fact, after my death, one of you should enjoy my wealth. But I would like to be buried with a great token at least. His friends all looked at him. His mood has caught their attention now. Then he said, On the day that I am dead and to be buried, each of you will bring one box containing the most expensive and valuable thing you can offer me. I will be buried with your three gifts. But here's the catch. My lawyer will value what you bring. And to the one who has given the most expensive gift, I will make him the inheritor of all my vast fortune. So if you promise that you will do this, I will hold on to my end of the bargain. They thought about it, and each of them promised to find something of great value that he can take to his grave. They each promised him that their gift would be the most valuable, and he will take it with him as a great token. The very next day, he got his lawyer to write the agreement, and his three friends signed it made them promise that when he died, he'd be buried with three valuable things. Immediately, they went to work to find something great that is suitable. Years passed, and one day, the man died. On the day of his burial, the three friends came, each bearing a box. The first friend who was carrying the largest box, a giant trunk, said, I'm sorry, friends, but I'm going to win this. You see, I have liquidated all my assets down to the last penny, and within this box is all the gold I can buy with my great wealth. While keeping my promise have begged me, let him take it, for soon I will inherit his greater fortune. The lawyer then came up, calculated the value and said, this is $10 million worth of gold. Then he lowered the trunk into the grave. The second friend then came up with his box. It's not too big. He then said, sorry friends, I am going to win this because I've been investing in treasure hunting and I've managed to get this rare piece of diamond that used to belong to an ancient king. Now the cost of finding it has left me broke, but I'm going to get all his inheritance, so it's okay. Then he laughed. The lawyer assessed the diamond, 
and he valued it $50 million. First friend was shocked. He's lost everything. He watched sadly as the box was lowered into the grave. The third friend then came forward. His box was very small and was held in just one hand. He opened it, took out an empty check, and then wrote on it $100 million. There you go, he said to the lawyer, a check for $100 million made out to him. My account doesn't quite have as much right now, but as soon as he comes and deposits this check, the full amount will be his. Guess that makes my contribution the most valuable of all. And that makes me the inheritor to his wife's fortunes then. The two friends faded. And the lawyer had to agree. Even though it's just a check, he gave the most. So the third friend did keep his promise, but in such a way that if the dead friend was alive, he would do a face palm. Technically, he was cheated. The dead man can never cash the check. And technically, the third friend did offer the most value out of the three gifts. Now, as we look at that um, story, as we talk about promises and cheating, do you feel that God is doing something like that? Do you feel cheated by God? You became Christian. You're now part of God's chosen people. You are the inheritor of God's kingdom. Yet you still suffer, don't you? You still have sickness. You grow frail and weak every day, inching towards the grave. Yet God has asked you to give him your all, heart, mind, body, and soul. Has God cheated you with an empty promise and truly given you nothing? It feels that way when you get sick or if you need surgery. It feels that way when your business takes a bad turn. If you have suffered because of the flood, it may feel like God is not holding his end of the bargain, right? Losing loved ones who fully trusted in God. Losing your job. Struggling with your mental and emotional problems. Struggling with finances. The list is endless. And in all these things, the question comes up, doesn't it? Can I trust God? Does he really fulfill his promises? Now, you want to have a look at a promise today? And in one sense, they kind of outline the big picture of God's promises towards us. If you think about it a bit more, you will see how it links to Christmas. Now, in our Old Testament today, we read from Isaiah. You can turn to Isaiah 62 if you want. Um, you will see that Isaiah 62 is all about the promise of how God is going to treat his people. Throughout Isaiah, God shows how his people have done wrong towards him, how he's going to judge them. But in the passage that we read here, Isaiah 62, God then tells them of a future plan that he has for them. And you see, God says here that there are those who will be faithful to God, who are never silent in remembering God and warning people about forgetting God. And in verse 6, they're pictured here as watchmen in Jerusalem. And because of them, God then says that he will promise to establish Jerusalem to make it a praise on earth in verse 7. And then we see in Isaiah 62 verse 8, God himself swears that this city will never be taken advantage of, conquered by others. And then God is going to give them a great blessing. God then calls the Israelites to listen to this watchman, the people who are urging them, remember God and obey him and thus become part of this Jerusalem that God is building. God then commands Isaiah, speak this prophecy to the people, remind them that behold, their salvation comes. 
And with it comes great reward and recompense, which is pictured as this great blessing that is promised within the city. Now, during this time, people expected this to be literally the physical city of Jerusalem that God is talking about. But if we read our Bible carefully, we put all the hints together, we'll know that God is actually talking about not just the restoration of one physical city. He's talking here about, um, in a metaphorical sense, of a heavenly Jerusalem. In other words, God is talking here about setting up what becomes known in the New Testament as the kingdom of God. The idea of this heavenly Jerusalem is a metaphor then for this kingdom that God is setting up. And it's going to be greater than any human kingdom. And this is an idea that is seen throughout the Old Testament in many ways, in different names. Sometimes it's referred to, uh, it refers to this kingdom as a mountain that cannot be shaken. Sometimes it talks about it as a people who will be gathered. And sometimes it talks about it as if it's a city. And all this imagery points out to this ultimate reality God is working out, which is seen in the New Testament, the kingdom of God. Now this kingdom is centered around God, gathering God's people in God's place under God's rule and authority. And this is why the passage of Isaiah ends with the promise that those gathered people, both from Israel and from the nations that come to this kingdom, they will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. God is going to do something to them, which is going to make them be called holy and redeemed. And these people of this kingdom, they will be sought out. And the kingdom will be called a city not forsaken because God is going to bless them and be with them who are his people. Now, in verse 10, we see that people are commanded to prepare the way, to build the highway, and even light up a signal to make it easier for other people, who so are not Israelites, to come into the city that God is establishing, to partake in this great blessing. So this is a great thing, because not only are the Old Testament Israelites going to be saved through God's plan, His plan is for these saved Israelites to call out and invite people into this kingdom that God is setting up. And once they become part of God's people, they too will go out and call people to come to this kingdom. Now, does the idea sound familiar? This is exactly what Jesus meant when he instructed his disciples with the Great Commission. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The command from Jesus is a fulfillment of how this call to all the nation does eventually go out. So what is this call to enter into God's kingdom? What is it all about? Well, firstly, for that to be a kingdom, there has to be a king. So God sent his king, Jesus, into the world. And Jesus proclaimed the good news. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is the king who has come to fulfill the promises, to gather together God's people into his kingdom, his kingdom that God has given to Jesus. And that's what the movement from the Old Testament to the New Testament is all about. So for us who can look and read both the Old and New Testament, we can appreciate this. So with that then, we come to the gospel reading of Luke. And here, we see how angels appear to the shepherd 
and told them about the good news. The good news of the gospel is that, from Luke, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Remember how Isaiah promised that God's salvation will one day come to his people? Well, here is that salvation. Born as that baby in that manger, Jesus Christ. And friends, this is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. Because Jesus Christ was not just any child, but he's the Christ. Christ isn't his last name. It means that he is the anointed one or chosen one. Jesus is the ultimate descendant of King David, who was promised by God, who comes to save his people. So you see, the coming of Jesus is the beginning of the fulfillment of this kingdom that God is setting up. And that means God is going to establish a people. And we too are included. Even if we are not descended physically from Abraham, we are not circumcised like the Jews, we don't have ancestors who live in Jerusalem, we still can now come into this kingdom through the proclamation of this good news, that Jesus Christ is God's chosen king. And so that's why the angels and the multitudes of heaven in Luke praise God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So friends, Christmas is more than just presents or having family dinner, more than the roast turkey or tunes played in shopping mall. Ultimately, the things that brings meaning to Christmas is that Jesus came. God keeps his promises. And he is reaching out with salvation even until today. And you will notice that this good news was proclaimed firstly to the prophets, through prophecies like Isaiah that we heard read to us today. Then we see the angel telling the shepherds. And when the shepherds saw the baby Jesus, they went out and made known this saying to others. The proclamation then is carried on by the disciples as Jesus gave them the great commission to go and proclaim the good news. And finally today, it comes to you. Through the preaching of the good news, for those who have heard, sorry, from those who have heard and believed in God's promises. So if you are hearing this today, you too are invited. Come and believe. And if you are a believer, then this is a reminder for your role in being a member of the city. You now go out and preach the message. Call people into the city that God has set up. And if you don't know how to do that, then begin right here. Find someone who needs to hear this message after the service. Talk to them about it. Tell people, come to Jesus. If you do, you're guaranteed a place in this kingdom that God has built. And his blessings will be for you. But we have to wonder about one thing, right? How is it that Jesus saves us? And for that, we come to our New Testament passage from Titus chapter 3. And we see in that passage in verse 6 that this salvation that appeared did not come because we were good or because God was acknowledging, oh, you guys are very good, huh? In fact, the Bible clearly states, no one is good before God. All have sinned and fallen short. None of us deserve to enter God's kingdom. You can try all you want. You will never be good enough. You will always fall short. You will always sin. 
Yet Titus tells us that by God's mercy, God washes away our sins, takes it away from us, regenerates our heart to be able to love God rightly, renews us to the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. And Titus shows that this salvation, this washing away, this regeneration is all poured out to us through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. And friends, again, that is exactly why on that Christmas day, more than 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born. God's King came to save his people. He came to grow, to become a man, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, and then to go to that cross, to die, to bring forth that kingdom. Why? Because you see the root of the problem that we saw in Isaiah, where God's people deserve judgment and punishment because they have all sinned. That problem hasn't changed. We all still sin. We all still deserve judgment. But at that cross, Jesus went willingly to die as a replacement for all those who's willing to come to him to bend their knee and confess that Jesus is their Lord. By becoming his subject under his rule, he then takes us onto himself, represents us at the cross, and takes upon himself all the sin and judgment that we deserve. He pays for it. And through that, we get what Titus promises us. We are washed clean from sin because Jesus took it upon himself. We are reborn and regenerated because Jesus has become our king. And we are no longer in rejection of God, but are now his willing subjects, and God therefore changes our hearts. We now have God's Holy Spirit who renews us day by day to live according to God's will. So you see, friends, in Jesus, God's promises are yes and amen. In Jesus, they are fulfilled. We do have forgiveness of sins. The peace on earth that the angels promised the shepherd is here. We do have renewal and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit because Jesus has sent the Spirit to dwell in our hearts, to guide us in obeying Jesus. So in all these things, God has kept his promise. They are not empty. And if you are a believer, you may not realize it, but you are already partaking in these blessings even right now. So through the promises of God, which he keeps, we are already made heirs of God's blessing. Now, we are not in the heavenly promise city yet, but we are members of it spiritually, and we await the day when Jesus comes again to give us the fullness of God's promise. But we have been declared as heirs. It's similar to being named the heir of a great fortune, right? You still have to wait for that fortune to come to you. So now is the time for us to look at what promises God has kept and let that encourage us to continue believing in the fullness of all the promises of God. And we believe this even as we struggle, even as we find life difficult. What should keep us going then is to see, since God kept his word, 
sent his king, set up his kingdom, and he's bringing in more and more people into the kingdom daily. As we see that, we know we can trust him. Then we who have placed our trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the saviour who has saved us from our sins, and he is the Lord, our king, to whom we must submit. If you believe this gospel, then we must respond by living as heirs of God's kingdom, not to go back to where we were before we put our trust in Jesus. And if you are here today, but do not know Jesus as your Lord, if you're not seeking to learn and submit to what Jesus wants you to do, then listen well, friends. The watcher gives the message. The way is open. The signal is given. And the message is, come to Jesus for salvation. Become God's heir. Trust in his promises. And we need to do this because God's judgment still awaits. So talk to someone. Find out more. So having learned what we learned today, here are a few points to take home. Firstly, even as we celebrate Christmas, we should feel great joy, not just in the fact that Jesus has come in his incarnation, but also that he will come again to fulfill the fullness of God's promises of a blessed kingdom under him. And when that kingdom comes, friends, you will see what true blessing looks like. All your suffering, all your waiting will be worth it. Believe in that because God has kept his word so far. So really, celebrate Christmas for the right reason. Jesus is the reason for the season. Second thing, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus, come and talk to us, find out more. How do we know these things are true? What should you do if you want to believe? Where do you go if you want to learn more? And can I encourage you, if you want, uh, if you're willing to, to talk to others here after the service. Ask them some questions. We who are in God's kingdom are eager to welcome you to come in into that city, God's kingdom, and partake in this great blessing. Thirdly, even as you suffer and struggle through life, know that God really kept, God really keeps His promises. The Christ did come, didn't he? God keeps his promises. He has not promised you health, wealth, and prosperity right now. But he has set up an eternal kingdom where these things will one day be yours. So even as you suffer now, be patient and continue testing. If there are to be no challenges, then how will you know if your faith in Jesus is genuine? So the suffering and trials are a means then for you through which God confirms your salvation in Christ. So as you respond to God in your pain and suffering, you can see if you have faith. And if you find that lacking, repent, my friends. Trust him. Hang in there knowing that God keeps his promises. You are heirs of his kingdom if you believe and persevere. And finally, the full blessed kingdom is not here yet. That is true. But you can see that God has called his people together as his church. The local church then is a picture of God's people looking forward to the reality of the city that God is building up. So if you're someone who's Christian but comes to church once in a year, 
or just drop by occasionally when you feel like it, you have to ask this question. If I'm already rejecting this sample of God's kingdom, of what God is promising, is this really good for me? Am I not already rejecting that kingdom by refusing to come and gather for this one? God wants you to gather with his people. Yes, we are not perfect right now. But God still asks us to not neglect and together so that we can edify each other. So if this is you, if you are the once a year visitor or two, three times a year visitor, can I encourage you, as you come to trust God, obey Him. Listen to what He says. Come gather regularly with His people at a church. So friends, as we celebrate Christmas, let us trust God knowing that He keeps His word. And so let that bring meaning to our Christmas celebration this year. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much that you have promised all these wonderful blessings to us. And Father, even as we eagerly wait to come into the fullness of your kingdom to obtain this blessing, this joy that you have promised, we know that our life doesn't look like it right now. And we know, Father, you are in control. You will keep your word. So help us then to deepen our faith, to trust in you, to not give up when things are bad, and help us to love and obey you, to worship you in all things, and help us to submit then to this King that you have sent, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.